0: reading is from 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verses 1 to 11. In the Pew Bibles, this is page 1139. Now, brothers, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved, if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance.
1: either. Uh, keep your Bibles opened. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for uh, this book of 1 Corinthians and thank you for the chance uh, to return to it after after a while. Uh, and we pray you'd help us this morning. Help us to see uh, the gospel clearly uh, and help us to hold firmly to it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen there was a young girl who was uh, about three years old, and one day her, her grandma came to visit, and it had been a while, so she wanted to give the, the granddaughter a gift. Now, she knew she liked uh, collecting pictures of birds and, and bird stamps, but she didn't want to risk buying something the girl wouldn't like. And because it had been so long, uh, she decided to give her some, some money that she could buy something with. And the grandma was, was quite well off, and she wanted to, to teach the young girl about the value of money. And so she decided to give her a $100 note, a $50 note, a $20 note, a $10 note, and a $5 note. Uh, one of every note. And she decided that she'd, she'd teach the girl about the different amounts of money. And so she did. And she explained the difference by pointing out uh, the people on the notes. Uh, so she told, uh, she told the granddaughter the story of Sir Edmund Hillary and Kate Shepherd and Sir Apirana Apirana Nata and Queen Elizabeth and Ernest Rutherford. Now, the grandma was was quite chuffed with herself at at being able to turn a gift into a life lesson until the next morning when she woke up to find that each of the banknotes now had a bird-sized hole in them Uh, because the granddaughter realised that there were birds on the back of every note and she decided she'd cut them out and add them to her scrapbook. Now... Uh, Some here will be saying that's why you don't give people money. Uh, But we receive money and we we pass it on. But the moment you you change it, it becomes worthless when you try and pass it on. Uh, Try try using those notes and and they would literally be worthless. And when it comes to the the gospel of Jesus, the moment that the, the gospel is altered, the moment it's assumed, the moment the focus shifts away from Jesus... That's the moment that it becomes worthless. And that's the point that, that Paul is making this morning as we move into 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And he begins this morning by, by reminding the Corinthians that the gospel that, that he received it was, it was the very same gospel that he passed on to them. And it's the very same gospel that you and I have received through the teaching of the apostles, uh, those men who, who witnessed the, the ministry of Jesus and, and preached the good news to others, as it is recorded for us in the Bible, God's Word. And in a world and and in a country that is becoming increasingly anti-Christian, that's something that uh, I think Jacob alluded to earlier, uh, it becomes all the more important to remember that the gospel that is received must be the gospel that is passed on. And we're going to see a number of things about the gospel this morning. But first, uh, we're back in 1 Corinthians. We we started the series last year. And we came across a church that was very dear to Paul, who wrote the letter. Uh, he, he cared for them deeply, and you sense that as you read through the letter. But it's also a church that had a number of issues. Uh, and Paul spends the first six chapters addressing some of the issues that had been reported to him by the church, uh, by people in the church. I- issues like division over who followed which leader, issues like turning a blind eye to immorality in the church, or people suing each other within the church. And from chapter 7 onwards, uh, Paul began addressing some specific issues that the church had had written to him about in a letter. And if you were with us uh, last weekend at church camp, you would have heard about one of those key issues that they wrote about regarding spiritual gifts. Now, in chapter 15, Paul begins to address another question that the Corinthians have raised. Uh, And we're not told what the exact question is, But we do know it's about the resurrection uh, of Jesus, because that's what chapter 15 is really all about, the resurrection. Uh, And we'll think more about that in the coming weeks. And and Paul, this morning, shows us four things. He shows us uh, what the gospel is. He shows us the reliability of the gospel. He shows us the origin of the gospel. And finally, he shows us the nature of the gospel. So, so what is the gospel? Uh, this word that, that people use a lot, it's, it's a good Christian word. I imagine most of us have used it at some stage, but, but what is it? Uh, and I think a number of us get nervous when we have to try and answer that. We know that it's got something to do with Jesus, but Paul is a little bit more specific here. Uh, the gospel is a, a word which, of course, means good news, and the good news is there for us in verses 3 and 4, that Jesus died for our sin, that Jesus was raised from the dead. That is the gospel. That is how a person is saved from their sin and brought into relationship with God. That's how a person who's who's lived their life going against God can find themselves now at peace with God. And because we don't always remember the gospel as as the Bible teaches it, uh, it's common for Christians to, to fall into that trap of assuming that the gospel is is anything good that we do? It's got some sort of Christian connection. Uh, a man named Don Carson suggests that when we assume the gospel, we risk the things on the margins becoming the main thing. We risk the things on the margins becoming the main things. And he lists things like happiness, uh, marriage, caring for the poor and the needy, uh, stewarding the resources we've been given, connecting with our communities, and engaging with our ever-changing culture now, now these are all some some great things but they are not the gospel and I, I think Paul reminds them of uh, and us of what the gospel is so, so that we don't find ourselves making uh, these marginal things the main thing and I think he's uh, showing us when we rightly understand the gospel centered around the, the death and resurrection of Jesus we'll soon find that this gospel helps us to think rightly and act rightly regarding all those things that we as Christians uh, care about and are passionate about and are involved in. So to start with, Paul brings them back to the gospel that changed his life and the lives of the Corinthians as well. Now after explaining what the gospel is in in verses 3 and 4, Paul shows us that the gospel is reliable. Uh, And he does it in verses 4 and 5 by reminding the Corinthians about history. Uh, Because Jesus died and was buried, Uh, there were numerous witnesses of that, and when Jesus was raised from the dead, he appeared to people, Uh, not in the way that Michael Jackson or or the the sort of Elvis type of way where you get those interesting individuals claiming they've seen them uh, and sharing their their theories about what really happened. Uh, Jesus appeared to to Peter and James, and he appeared to the, the rest of the 12 disciples And then he even appeared to over 500 people at once. And Paul backs up this claim by pointing out that some of these 500 people were were still alive. The Corinthians could have checked for themselves, and I imagine they would have. And that's something unique about Christianity compared to a lot of other religions. Christianity stands or falls on the basis of history. There's, There's compelling evidence for it. Uh, and that's why we encourage people to, to weigh the evidence as we, uh, and we trust that God's Spirit will help others to see the truth just as we have. Now, did you notice that, that phrase that comes up twice uh, according to the Scriptures in, in verses 3 and 4? This is what God said would happen in the Old Testament, uh, places like Isaiah 53, uh, verses four, 4 to 6, which you can look up later, uh, which points to Jesus' death, our sins or, or psalm 16 that says god wouldn't let his holy one see decay uh, indicating that jesus death wouldn't be final and just as the old testament prophets had, had predicted jesus's death and, and his resurrection came to pass the gospel is reliable because the gospel comes from god uh, that's the next thing we see the gospel comes from god and, and we're gonna uh and we're going to verses one to three here uh Verse 3, this is a gospel that Paul received. He didn't just come up with it himself and and start telling people. He received it from God. Uh, And Paul refers to himself in verse 8 as one abnormally born. Uh, And I'm not sure what he means by that. Uh, Some suggest it's it's talking about his looks. Uh, Maybe he had a big snout like mine. Uh, But it seems more likely he's referring to the way he became an apostle. Much later than the other apostles, uh, there was a, a suddenness to it. Uh, if you turn your Bibles to, to Acts chapter 9, you see how it came about. Uh, You'll remember that Jesus appeared before Paul in this very unique way back when his name was uh, Saul, and he'd been responsible for the imprisonment and, and the persecution of many followers of Jesus. Uh, let me read some of Acts chapter 9, which tells the story. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, 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 why do you persecute me? Why? Uh, who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, who you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. Uh, and of course, he, he lost his sight for three days. And we learn a few verses later, that God says uh, uh, about Paul, this man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. And after spending some time with uh, the disciples in Damascus where where they would have explained things to him, Paul begins to preach the good news, the start of, of this incredible work that God would do. He received the gospel from God in a remarkable way, and he began preaching the gospel, which is how a number of the Corinthians now came to faith in Jesus. As it was preached, they received it. Uh, Because as we see in in verse 2, by this gospel you are saved. It's the gospel that saved the Corinthians, and and it should be no surprise that it came from God. Uh, All the way back in chapter 1, we we learned that the Corinth was a little bit of a, a metropolis where people went to to further themselves. It was made up of all sorts of uh, different people who who thought very differently. And to some, the gospel sounded absolutely ridiculous, Uh, not dissimilar to some people's views of the gospel today. Paul said in chapter 1, Jews demand miraculous signs. Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. That is the power and wisdom of God. See, it wasn't, it wasn't human wisdom that saved them. It wasn't the good things that they'd done, the, the Christian things. It was the gospel. Jesus' death for their sin and his resurrection, showing his power over sin and death. So we've seen that the origin of the gospel as it came to Paul, and as he passes it on to the Corinthians, because it's from God. The gospel is the foundation on which they take their stand. And we see that in verse 1. There's there's a hymn which we sing here from time to time, which most of you will know. Uh, My hope is built on nothing less. And one line says, On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking. All other ground is sinking sand. Uh, I'm sorry, I had to do that to wake some of you up. Uh, It's like an alarm, isn't it? A blaring alarm. Uh, now, those, those lyrics, on Christ a solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand, uh, they're so encouraging, aren't they? Paul, Paul is saying the gospel of Jesus is what they've taken their stand on. And any other foundation is hopeless. Like a house that's, that's built on sand will surely come crashing down. Uh, the gospel of Jesus is a, a, is a firm foundation for the Christian. And, and when life rocks us, A Christian is is battered and bruised, sure, but still standing in Christ. Uh, Some of the most encouraging uh, Christian interviews I've ever heard are when people go through things that that many of us struggle to comprehend, and they remain standing because they've taken their stand on the gospel. Uh, At the Equip conference uh, earlier this year, I think a number of you were there when uh, the wife of one of the speakers was interviewed, and, and very bravely, shared about uh, five miscarriages that she had had and the ways that that had rocked her faith. But she also shared how how the firm foundation of the gospel had helped her through. She knew God's love for her, even though she couldn't explain why she had to go through those tragedies. Now, some of us here this morning will have been through our own tragedies. Many of us will will face tragedies in the future, uh, and the Bible is, is very clear of that but there is a firm foundation that the Christian has that others do not have and I wonder do you have that gospel foundation that foundation it won't make tragedies go away but it does give us a hope beyond them I wonder have you taken your stand on the gospel of Jesus is this gospel the lens through which you're viewing all of life and the gospel, it can't be on the margins. Uh, it needs to be at the center. And that's why why Paul adds this caution, if you hold firmly to it. Uh, we have a, a staff and Vestry Day coming up in the next month, and, and someone mentioned to me this week, it, it feels like uh, a bit of a warrant of fitness. Uh, you know how you take your car in to check it over, see how everything's going. <coughs> and, and one of the first things we'll be doing is reminding ourselves that the gospel is is the thing that saves. And that will be much of, uh, That will guide much of what we think about on the day. Because the moment you, you let go of the gospel, the moment you stop holding firmly to it, the moment you start focusing on those things that are in the margins and forget the main thing, that will be the moment that you'll find out much of what has been done has been done in vain. And that idea of, of things being done in vain is something that Paul is, is very aware of. Uh, it comes up something like uh, five times in this chapter, not always in those exact words, but there is certainly a warning in these verses to any who have let go of the gospel. Now, now, unfortunately, there are many Christians who haven't held on firmly to the gospel. Now remember, Corinth was a place where, where people went to advance themselves, people from all over, different views, and, and many of these views were being pushed into the church. Now, when it comes to holding firmly to the gospel, we we know that there are risks for us as a church. We're living in a time where Christianity isn't at all popular. And there are a number of issues that society sees as important that aren't the gospel. Jesus' death and resurrection will inform the ways we we think and act regarding different issues. But those issues are are never our central focus. Uh, I heard a a story the other day from someone who, who mentioned a a friend of theirs had visited a random church and the sermon was all about co-governance. Now, whatever your views may be on co-governance, it's not the gospel. And we need to be careful that while it's right for us to work out how the gospel impacts our thinking on all of the issues of our day, we don't want to be caught passing on a gospel that has nothing to do with the death of Jesus for our sin and nothing to do with his resurrection. Paul describes the gospel as being of first importance. And so I take it uh, these things that could take us away from the gospel are things of lesser importance. Now, it sometimes plays out that the issues that we're passionate about aren't the gospel, uh, but they become the central things for us in in place of the gospel. Uh, Maybe it's a political agenda that we're tempted to push, or, or maybe it's the type of thing that the Bible mentions in passing that we make a bigger deal of than the death and resurrection of Jesus, that we emphasize as if it is the gospel. Uh, let me give you a couple of examples. Uh, the Bible encourages hospitality. Uh, maybe we start to champion hospitality as if it is the gospel, as if, it, as if being hospita- uh, hospitable is the single most important thing in people coming to trust Jesus. Now, don't get me wrong. Hospitality is a, is a wonderful thing, and we should absolutely be hospitable but it shouldn't be the number one thing. (coughs) Or maybe we're rightly moved by the way that Jesus cares for the needy. But we express that by demanding that social justice must be the number one priority of the church. Uh, And I remember some years ago, there was a real push for that among young people in in Christchurch. (coughs) We need to be careful that that we're holding firmly to the gospel and, and not letting go of the gospel because we're holding on so tightly to something else. It's the gospel that was received, preached by the apostles, recorded for us in the Bible. That is what saves. That is what we are to hold firmly to. And I love that image of holding firmly, uh, because even though we don't do this perfectly, uh, we fail badly at times, don't we? But God holds on to us as we strive to hold on to the gospel. Uh, picture a, a child with their parent holding on as, as the mum swings them round by the arms in circles. More likely the dad, because mums are too sensible for that. Uh, and the child might think that, that their grip is the thing that uh, that matters most. But really, it's all on the parent. Because even if the, the child loses their grip momentarily, the parent doesn't let go. And as we think about the, the Corinthians holding firm, uh, we'll see next week that, that some of them have let go of the gospel. But we also remember God is holding firm each of his people firmly, each of us who are his. Even when we are weak, even when we make mistakes, he is strong, and he doesn't let go of us or abandon us. And he helps us to hold firmly to the gospel once again, his gospel that that he has given us, uh, and that's what we are to keep at the center. Now, the final thing that Paul shows us is is the nature of the gospel, Uh, and this is in verses 9 and 10. And we see from Paul's life that this is a gospel of grace. It's not a gospel of merit, but of grace. Jesus didn't die for the MVP, the most valuable among us. He died for sinners. And Paul was a sinner of sinners. As Paul recalls his shameful background, persecuting the people of God, he knows he doesn't deserve to be an apostle. But he also knows that when God shows a person grace, good will come of it. And anything good that comes is a result of that grace. And he says that about his life. As he's proclaimed Jesus, he's probably worked harder than the other apostles, but he knows it's all a result of the grace that he's been shown by God. Not giving him what his sins deserved and giving him what he never deserved. Eternal life and, and this role of being his chosen instrument are you remembering that this gospel is a gospel of grace and not of merit Uh, sometimes remembering our past sins actually reminds us of the grace that we have been shown and most of us don't like doing that and for some of us we actually struggle to forget our past sins so so vivid are our memories of, of past mistakes But this is a gospel of grace, a gospel for sinners like Paul and for sinners like us. This gospel reminds us there is forgiveness for all who would turn to God. So that is the gospel, Jesus-centered, it's reliable, from God, and full of grace. This is what the Corinthians needed to hold on to and what we need as well. And maybe this morning we recognize that we've allowed the, the outworkings of the gospel to replace the gospel itself in our lives, we've allowed the outworkings to replace the gospel. We feel the pressure to leave out bits of the gospel that uh, that we think people might ridicule us about. You believe in a resurrection. You believe that that one man could pay for the sin of the world. Remember that this message is from God, and like Paul, we're called to pass it on, pass it on as we receive it. But perhaps you're someone here who. Uh, has found Paul's words this morning to be an encouragement uh, because you're, you're holding on to the gospel that you received. You're living your life with Jesus' death for your sin and, and his resurrection as the main thing, and you're seeking to pass on what you've received, and that is a wonderful thing, uh, and I encourage you to keep going by the grace of God, if that's you. Now, what, one final thing I want to point out. Uh, as Christians, we need to work hard at working out what the gospel is and what the gospel isn't. Uh, and I want to finish with this story of uh, one of the, the staff uh, when I was at Bible College who, who was telling us about uh, a time when he was younger and some Jehovah's Witnesses came and uh, knocked on his door and they spoke with his father and his father spoke to them at length uh, and, and when they left he, he turned to his son and said they didn't say anything about Jesus or the cross and that was enough for his dad to work out that they weren't speaking about the true gospel and he said that's something that that stuck with him all of his years as a Christian Uh, and it it highlights I think uh, the need for us to be discerning to remember that the gospel is the thing of first importance the death of of Jesus for our sin uh, Jesus being raised to life is that the gospel that we are holding on to this morning.
0: Uh, I pray that it would be. Amen.